0: Welcome to the new podcast, History, Politics, and Beer, where we examine contemporary issues through the lens of history. We are solving the world's problems one podcast at a time. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson.
1: Well, 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 here we are again. Uh, we are going to be looking at part two of ...of the abortion debate. Last week, we discussed the Supreme Court, we discussed the issues of privacy. Um, This week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the history part of this, uh, the moral part, um, biblical... aspects of it, and also how this, uh, both sides, translates into more contemporary policy issues. Right? But before we start that, uh, history, politics, and beer, we do things backwards because the beer is what's mentioned last, but it's the first thing we take care of during the podcast. And I know I'm at my studio because sitting across from me is Jeff Hudson. And Jeff, this week I'm noticing a very familiar um six pack sitting on the table here at least to Pennsylvanians.
0: Yes, it is a Yingling traditional lager. Yingling uh, advertises themselves as America's oldest brewery. Uh, I think by that they mean that a brewery that has continually brewed
1: beer to the present since 1829 on the label.
0: And uh, I'm sure they were brewing beer before that, but like I said, I think Yingling is saying, well, but we're still here. And we're still at it, and uh, it is a very traditional lager. Uh, A little bit salty. I can taste a little salt in that. Yeah, Uh,
1: it's not your traditional lager. There is some oomph to it.
0: There's a little taste there. Yes. I I, I like, you know, Yingling is popular in Pennsylvania for a reason, and one reason I like them is uh, I read a story about them sending a case of beer to Franklin Roosevelt, uh, for him to celebrate uh, uh, the end of prohibition. Of course, when he signed the repeal of Pro- the amendment to repeal prohibition, and he said, You know, I think it's great, and everybody needs a nip now. I th- and uh, Yingling evidently sent him a case of beer, but which meant that they might have been brewing that before the end of prohibition. So good for them if they were a whole bunch of people who were brewing beer and, <laughs> and distilling uh, whiskey and gin and everything else. So uh, we're having a little
1: Yingling. And uh, we're celebrating uh, Pennsylvania tradition here. Okay, any good Pennsylvania boy has had their fair share of gingling. So, um, and you know what? That might be a future podcast for uh, us—prohibition—and because we can certainly talk about the failure of government and the more you know, trying to pass. Oh yeah, that'd be a good
0: one. I think that'd be a good one.
1: Um, Anyway, let's jump into the abortion thing right away here. Uh, Like I said last week, Jeff, we talked about the privacy issue in Roe, Um, we talked about Griswold versus Connecticut and how Roe was decided on the back of that case. uh, And that abortion really came down to a privacy issue, at least in that first trimester. And then in the second trimester, it was the health of the mother was the compelling reason for the state to be involved. And then in the third trimester, it was the life of the fetus that was the compelling interest. But to really understand this, we need to kind of go back in history a little bit and start talking about early abortion. Uh, historically, where do we find it? How common was it? And Jeff, I know you're, I think you're going to take us a little bit the whole way back to the time of Egypt.
0: Well, yeah, it, it turns out, Matt, that, that people have been having sex for a long time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, And evidently, uh, abortion has been uh, around a long time, too, because when you have sex, you have the potential for an unwanted pregnancy. And we find abortion recorded, uh, you know, 1,500 years uh, B.C. in Egypt. We find it recorded in China. Uh, Different methods have been used and documented toxic herbs, abdominal manipulation, early surgical methods, and magic and spells. So uh, these unwanted pregnancies have been around a long time. Now, they are mentioned possibly, uh, unwanted pregnancies, and uh, abortion as a remedy
1: for them in the Bible, although there is some disagreement about that. I think it's important to state also that, they would have had no idea about what is happening inside of them. That the sperm and the egg coming together. I mean, they're really working on simply what they can observe from the outside,
0: right? And and
1: we're talking basically about agricultural people, right? The Egyptians
0: and the early Hebrews. They certainly knew the facts of life when it came to reproduction, but they didn't have any understanding of the of the you know that that the unique DNA and the fertilization of the egg. Uh, I think I read that the fertilized egg is 100 microns uh, uh, wide, about the same width as a human hair. They would have had no knowledge of that. They had no way to see that process take place. But they would know about you know the process that led to having a baby, and they would know that it could lead to problems. And in Numbers 5.11 through 31, you have uh, the Lord talking to Moses about uh, what the Israelites should do if a man feels that his wife has been unfaithful, even though uh it in it has been hidden from her husband and her impurity is undetected since there's no witnesses and this is what you should do according uh to numbers. Uh, if, if some feelings of jealousy come over uh, her husband, she needs to. he needs to take his wife to a priest and take an offering, as you do uh, a lot of times in the Bible, we take an offering. And the priest shall bring her and have her stand before the Lord. Then he shall take some holy water in a clay jar and put some dust from the tabernacle floor into the water. After the priest has had the woman stand before the Lord, uh, he basically uh, does two things. Uh, he has he puts a woman under oath and says to her, if no other man had sexual relations with you and you have not gone astray and become impure while married to your husband, may this bitter water, this mixture of earth and, and water that he's made uh, that brings a curse not harm you. But if you have gone astray while married to your husband and you have made yourself impure by having sexual relationships with a man other than your husband, that here the priest is to put the woman under the curse may the lord cause you to become a curse among your people when he makes your womb miscarry and your abdomen to swell so it seems like here that the the closest thing that i found to uh, inducing a miscarriage uh, abortion is in the bible it's actually in the affirmative it's actually this is what should happen
1: if you've been unfaithful in the eyes of God, I mean, well, at yeah. the beginning of that, the woman is brought in front of the Lord, right? The priests, right? Well, exactly. I think you, I think though, the, the, the I'm sure it's not to be taken literally, but it, I think it, you said that she would be brought, yeah. In, the yes. priest has her stand before the Lord, right. so
0: the Lord's a partner in this, in yes. determining whether she's uh, sinful or not, and whether she's committed adultery or not. Uh, now, some people say, well, this isn't. You know, this really isn't about an abortion or inducing a miscarriage, because the literal Hebrew says that her abdomen should swell and her thigh should rot. Um In the context of this, to me, that doesn't make any sense. What makes sense to me is that good old thigh rot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. But however you take it, it's it's uh, it, to me it would indicate. That there are some reasons, uh, biblical reasons for an abortion, namely, if a woman's been uh, uh, unfaithful to her husband, and we know that in context, and context means everything in the Bible. We know that being unfaithful, or possibly not even not being a virgin at the time you were married, is that's a capital offense. So, you know, very bad things could happen to you. One of the things that could happen to you biblically is that you would be taken to your father's house. And if he couldn't prove that you were a virgin at the time you were married, you could be stoned to death. So this is not out of keeping with the rest of uh,
1: of the early parts of the Hebrew Bible. Right. And I have a, another verse out of Exodus. Uh, this is Exodus 21. And early, earlier earlier at Exodus, um, we get... Moses and the Ten Commandments, and thou shall not kill. And later in Exodus, we get into kind of parsing out really what does killing mean. And in Exodus 21 and 22, it says, If men strive, and what strive meant was simply to fight, and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follows, he shall shall be surely punished according to... As the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. now what that means is if two men are fighting and a woman is hurt, and because of that, her fruit departs from her, she miscarries. Uh, what is the punishment? Well, the punishment is that the husband will lay upon him, which basically means will say, "This is how much money you owe me. This is a loss of property." And then the judge will determine whether that's fair or not. So even in that case, the baby is not treated as a person. It's not murder. It's simply a crime of property. Um, the two verses we picked out certainly weren't cherry-picked to prove a point of view.
0: Well, no. There's, there's also uh, one you see billboards made out of sometimes, uh, anti-abortion billboards from Psalm 139, and part of that, it says, For you created my inner inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And so it's this praise, and this is again, it is in the old, what Christians call the Old Testament, um, uh, giving God the credit for creating the child. Now, this one to me, uh, it certainly doesn't say abortion is murder, but I do see the sense in this, and I see um the the idea that god is that the creation is wonderful and you could infer from that, that inf, uh that interfering with this creation is a bad thing and i get that it doesn't say abortion is a murder but i understand that one uh, as as being open to the interpretation that abortion could be a bad thing now Later on, I mean, it wasn't clear to to early Christian saints uh, what uh, uh, that if abortion was okay or not, or even when uh, the the fetus became a child. Uh, You did some research on Saint Augustine,
1: right? Saint Augustine, uh, one of the early Catholic saints, um, Saint Augustine's Confessions. He lived in the three. Uh, I have a 354 to 430. I'm sure that different sites and different places will give you different years. But he says this Tell me, God, tell me whether there was some period of my life which preceded my infancy. Is this period I spent in my mother's womb? Was I anywhere? Was I any sort of person? I have no one able to tell me that neither my father, nor my mother, nor the experience of others, nor my own memory. So St. Augustine, Catholic saint, who certainly would have been well-versed in the Bible, was asking God, basically, where was I before I was born? Um, Was I anywhere? Was I any sort of person? So he certainly didn't find anywhere in the Bible to suggest that he was a person before he was born. Now, again, does this prove anything? No, it doesn't. I mean, obviously, St. Augustine doesn't have 21st century science behind him to help him answer some of these questions, as the Bible did not either. It's just—I think our point here is that when you use the Bible to try to substantiate a modern claim, it's problematic— because they simply don't have access to the things that we have access to today. And St. Augustine is a great example of this. Even in we, if we move ahead, all right um, in time, uh, the things like colonial America, uh, and even before colonial America and medica- uh, the medical practice, they, they had these ideas called humors, uh, or fluids in the body. Uh, blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. And part of being healthy was to balance these fluids, these humors. And um, the general uh, Stonewall Jackson, for example, was said to ride into battle with his left hand raised in order to keep the blood uh, balanced in his body. George Washington actually probably died directly from lack of blood. They've took a good amount of blood out of him to try to balance his blood, to get the bad blood out. Uh, And I think Washington even urged on the process of bleeding him. So women, part of the early, you know, menstruation is bleeding. So early when women weren't feeling well, they were having problems. One way to make them feel better to correct these issues was to bring on the menses, as they said, and it was to cause menstruation. And in many times, this was causing an abortion because the early uh, reason for missing your period was simply because you were pregnant.
0: Right. And and so that was a source of maybe abortions or miscarriages uh, being uh, an unintended effect uh, or an acceptable effect, but an unintended one of of trying to keep the woman healthy, but we know from uh colonial medical guides that women were uh informed of different drugs and and herbs they could grow in their own garden that would induce um a miscarriage uh later on the people made became very profitable selling pills uh patent medicines that would induce um a miscarriage and and there even became a phrase called taking the trades. you could take this trademark medicine and uh and and have an abortion so uh abortions were acceptable and they they this I think there's a lot of people that have the ideas like geez, this abortion uh is, question is new or if it's not new the the church has always had one exact position on it and that's not true or that traditional americans always had one position on abortion that's not true either
1: no for them uh quickening was the moment uh was the quickening is the when you can feel the baby move inside you from St. Augustine on. Right? right. Um, and I think Augustine may get that from Aristotle actually. Um, but I, I could be mistaken there. Uh, yeah. So a quickening, the idea of ensoulment, many people believe that the, uh, that the soul actually entered the body at um, at quickening, and at that and, point— And would have animated the body at right, that point. exactly. That's a great use of that word, too, animation, because that was the terminology that was used. The body was then animated. And we do get from Aristotle that the first part of pregnancy really is a vegetative state, that there's really nothing there. And then upon quickening, there's this animation, and then there's— some, something similar to almost like an animal state. You're not human yet, and then later on in the pregnancy, you become fully human. Um, and I forget where I was going with that. You got to help me out here.
0: Well, no, and and the, so there would have been no objection even early on with Saint right. Augustine uh, of of someone, and and that quickening usually happened after people some third or fourth month what we would call now the first trimester, a little afterwards, there would be no objection uh, to abortion. It would not have been seen as eliminating a human life. It wasn't human yet. No, they wouldn't. It, had, it hadn't been, uh, it, it, there
1: was no soul there, and it hadn't been animated. And our terminology probably should be, u- we should be using probably a different term, because we're using a term abortion. They would not have used that term. Right. Um, now, certainly, ending a pregnancy after quickening certainly was against the law. Um, Well, yeah, and and against the doctrine of the Catholic Church as well. Right, absolutely. So as you mentioned, uh, bringing on an abortion, uh, taking the trades, um, these drugs were commercialized. They were advertised in newspapers. Um, Women had ways to do it themselves, Um, taking salvin Uh, which you get from a juniper bush, was relatively common. Uh, You could visit a doctor, instrumental abortions when drugs didn't work. Um, In 18th, 19th centuries, uh, under common law, and it was practiced fairly widely. Um, Again, only after quickening, and quickening isn't really that an exact moment. It's sort of, you know, if only after quickening would it be legal to do right or seen as as immoral but even then quickening isn't an exact moment because right. when can exactly you feel so let's move along to when abortion actually starts becoming criminalized um that starts happening in the 1850s and
0: and i read an interesting thing that the f- the first thing that was criminalized was uh some of these available medicines because they were hurting the woman. You kind of get to the second part of right. Roe versus Wade where the state has a right to protect the health of a, uh, of, of a woman in the second trimester. That's a great point. That it, again, it the, was the, the health of the mother. Right. The, so the first thing, the first laws are like, let's get rid of these medicines that are being sold to induce uh, abortion. Some of them are not. I mean, some of them cause fatalities and sickness in women. So it was seen as protecting a woman.
1: Uh, early on- uh, like in the 1850s uh the American Medical Association is is created and they start criminalizing or advocating for the criminalization of abortion but probably not for moral reasons at least from their writings and what they said This was more to get rid of competition. The medical profession was trying to legitimize itself, and one of the ways to legitimize itself was to get rid of competition. And part of the competition was midwives and other people who worked uh, sort of under the table, so to speak, to perform abortions. So to criminalize it, took it off the streets, out of people's homes, and really gave the doctors this sort of authority to say what procedures could be done and at what times and at what times. Um The Dr. Horatio Storer is the gentleman who really pushes this. Um, he was a surgeon uh, from Boston and his father was also a surgeon. And he is going to be the one that early on is, and if you do the reading on this, he seems to really be the genesis of the American Medical Association taking this path. Now, why did he do it? It's hard to tell. Certainly, he didn't see women as being equals. Um, He made some quotes. I mean, he made made some comments I want to read here. The attacks of this sexual desire were clearly the same time happening the same time with the menstrual period and so extreme that the patient could with difficulty restrain herself from soliciting the approaches of the other sex upon treatment removal of the ovaries menstrual pain the morbid desires stopped so that when this woman had was having her period she was a sexual animal and she you know could not be satiated and then once uh, you removed her ovaries um, and you stopped menstruation. The I like the, by removing the ovaries. Yeah, the morbid desires stopped.
0: Well, I'm sure
1: by removing a
0: man's uh, testicles, yes. that that would interfere with his sexual desire as well.
1: Probably it, it might. Yes. it might. I'm, so, I'm just guessing on that. <laughs> so it, we we have is we have a. An era, an era of criminalized abortion by state to state. This isn't on the federal level, from state to state, really from eight, about 1857 up until 1972, 73 with well,
0: Roe. Well, actually, even a little bit before Roe in the 60s then, you had, and, and this is an interesting thing, you have doctors who are working with women and they've always been able to do what they call therapeutic
1: abortions abortions because there's a medical need
0: right so and and again under their control but these doctors now have unlike maybe doctor store have become much more sympathetic to women's needs and they change the medical profession changes their attitudes Towards women and abortions, and there becomes a a movement across the country to liberalize abortion laws. And by the time Roe is decided, you have at least twelve states that have made various uh, adjustments to when a woman can get abortion. It's not just like the Texas law involved in Roe, where a woman's uh, life has to be in danger. There's other reasons. You can seek an abortion. In New York in 1970 legalizes abortion, and people travel to New York to get, get them. And interestingly enough, and this is something that doctors that we're talking about who have now become more sympathetic to the idea of abortion would have guessed, uh, the uh, the maternal
1: mortality rate drops by 45%. Okay, which I think really starts bringing us to this science—you know, we talked to the biblical part of it. We talked the cultural parts of it. We talked about um, what the medical community in the past has said. You know, what is science telling us today? And obviously, I'm not a science teacher or a scientist, um, but I've done a, a, quite a bit of reading and listening— to scientists, talk about this issue, and I've also done some listening to what both sides have said about this issue. And when does life begin? And what I have learned is this: it's that's an impossible question to answer. Um, life is a process. Um, it there isn't an exact beginning. And there isn't an exact end. And the question, like, when do you die? Well, is it when your heart stops beating? Is it when there's no electrical impulses in your brain? Um, And even when those two things have ceased, we can still bring you back. So were you truly ever really dead to begin with? We know that some time between your heart stopped beating and a week later, you're dead. Um, And it's sort of like that with the beginning of life as well. Does it happen at fertilization? Does it happen at implantation? Does it happen after fertilization, before implantation, at the moment when uh, the chromosomes come together and the new DNA is formed? Uh, They're really, depending on what scientist you talk to, they're all going to give you a little bit of a different answer. And I really couldn't find any scientist who was willing to say, this is the moment.
0: Well, it's it's very hard. We we now know, and we didn't in the past, that you know, fertilized egg has the instructions from two parents uh, after a, a given a short period of time uh, to create a unique individual. So you know that seems like a point you could say, well, there there it is. It's got to be that. That's where the individual life has begun, but. Unless that egg is implanted in the uterus and stays there, it's not going to grow into a human being. It's just not. It has instructions. It's potential life. But unless it becomes part of the mother, unless it is implanted in the wall of the uterus, it won't become a unique individual. So at that point, what rights does the mother have? Is this just a completely separate? Some people want to just say, well, that's a completely separate individual, and now we have to bring the weight of the law, but it's not. No. It's not. If the mom smokes, it'll affect the mom drinks, it'll affect the baby. Uh, And not only that, even at the point of uh, if it is implanted, there's a very good chance That the mother will miscarry. Uh, I think the Mayo Clinic, I I I said ten to twenty percent of of uh, of women will miscarry, Uh, and and it's usually uh, early on in their pregnancy. So, what does that mean for the legal protection of 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 the fertilized egg or the embryo? It's 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 very hard. Uh, like you said, to know exactly what point, the you were talking about scientifically, the difficulty in recognizing when a unique life has actually started scientifically
1: compounds the legal problem of recognizing right. the. And that twenty percent even gets worse. Uh, you got that from the Mayo Clinic. My reading from Yale said that you you have twenty percent of implanted. Uh, embryos will fail right? Uh, before the implant. Will miscarry. Yeah, will miscarry. But before that time, uh, according to Yale, um, up to 80% of fertilized eggs will simply move through the body and never be implanted because there's something genetically wrong with them. Um, Genetically, chromosomes got mixed up. And there's really only one way a chromosome pairing can be screwed up and not result in death. And that is, I don't know what the number is, but that's Down syndrome. All other pairings of chromosomes that get screwed up is going to result in death. So 80 percent of the time, the bot the cells something goes haywire. So if life starts then, do 80 percent of all humans die? And then it's be even higher than that because what you're t- now let's talk. You know, we can talk about this even philosophically. If I die and go to heaven, are all these babies in heaven? Did they go to hell? They were born in the original sin and they never had a chance to accept Christ as their savior. If you're a Christian, I mean, there I don't expect anyone to answer that question. But there, there are so many philosophical questions that arise from life beginning at conception or fertilization that I don't even know where you begin.
0: Well, and in, in, in this confusion is reflected in what religions have right. believed over it. We've already talked about uh, Catholics uh, changing their their view because it used to be quickening. Now, official Catholic doctrine is the moment of conception. But that has to include some modern scientific knowledge because— the the fact of a sperm entering an egg and fertilizing that egg would not have been available at the time the bible any of the bible no the quote written. from
1: saint augustine clearly yeah. shows that he and did so, not have any concept so of that so this
0: has to be people using what they know about the church and i think they're you know well intended and and trying to apply you know incorporate this knowledge we have about fertilized eggs and stuff but protestants have, a, have always had a wide range of beliefs about this, and, and some of evangelical uh, de- denominations have even changed their attitudes. Uh, during the 1971 Southern Baptist Convention, the delegates passed a resolution recognizing that, and this is in quotes, Christians in the American society today are faced with difficult decisions about abortion. And it went on to state that law should recognize the sanctity of human life, including fetal life. But it did say that Southern Baptists should work for laws allowing abortion in extreme cases such as rape, severe fetal deformity, and the health of the mother. This was in 1971. It's a very conservative evangelical denomination saying abortion's okay. Uh, maybe not the preferred, you know, always the... Abortion's acceptable. Yeah, not okay. Acceptable is right. And now the Southern Baptist Convention, the same convention, which is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, opposes elective abortion except to save the life of the mother. So they have changed in a relatively recent time. And again, I don't think people know that. I think there's this idea and, so, oh well, there always used to be these uh, very—abortion con- always used to be legal, always was viewed as murder, simply not the case historically in ancient times, in medieval times, in the early history of the United States. And even if we go back to the 1970s with some evangelical uh, uh, denominations, who at that time in the 1970s— viewed abortion as acceptable in certain circumstances other
1: than a woman's life being in danger. The more you study this, the more you realize that that your culture, your knowledge of science, your religion, all inform your opinion on abortion. Um, And culturally, depending on where you are in the world and your understanding of science— informs when you believe life begins. Uh, I'm just going to share one quick little story to show how different this can be. And this is some Navajo tribes um, did not believe life. They had something called a sideboard. And after the baby was born, it went into this sideboard beside the mother. But it wasn't considered a child until after seven days, because these seven days were very dangerous for a newborn, and many children died in those seven days. And for them, it was simply pragmatic not to have this child be a person until we were pretty confident that the child was going to survive. We see this in lots of different groups. I don't want to call them primitive, uh, but lots of different groups that don't have the availability of science Uh, to inform their decisions. So you're absolutely right that there there isn't a universally accepted definition from any religious group, any secular group, or on a position on abortion. It's always informed by your culture, the science, and your religion. And for any particular person, any one of those is going to play more of a role than another one will.
0: Yeah. And one of the things about you know absolutism a lot of people, of course you want very uh, uh cut and dried solutions to difficult moral problems but sometimes they're just not there and one example that i have used in my classroom when i try to get kids to think about uh abortion and when it should be legal and when it should not be when life begins and when a unique individual life begins if there's a difference there but is this example of a fire at a fraternity uh um not a fraternity a <laughs> maternity clinic fertility yes and there you go. thank you and 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 so let's say somebody rushed in there was they knew there was a freezer there and had several containers of fertilized eggs, and a mother had uh, left the baby there and was crying, you only had a chance to to save the containers carrying the fertilized eggs or the baby. Which one would you choose? And I think you used that example as well.
1: Yeah, I used to use, use that example all the time in class. And and students would always pick the baby uh, you save the baby before you save the freezer full of frozen eggs and, or embryos. And it doesn't prove that uh, life doesn't begin at conception. All it demonstrates is that inside you, you know there's a difference. There's a difference between a child that's crying and uh, an embryo. I even go further. Sometimes I, I replace the baby with a puppy um, and people still save the puppy. Instead, So this idea of life that I can see, this struggling life that I can see, as opposed to fertilized eggs, there is just a, a difference there. And if you say that life begins at conception, and let's play this out for a second. Um, to beat Roe, okay, to overturn Roe, you have to do one of two things. You have to argue first that privacy is either not a right in the constitution. That's never going to happen. You're never going to reverse um, Griswold in Connecticut and say that privacy is not a right in the constitution. Or you're going to have to say that the state has a compelling reason to be involved in a woman's decision in the first trimester. And that compelling decision is going to be the life of the fetus. And in order to do that, you're going to have to argue personhood. Now, and even if you Even if you win the personhood argument in court, that doesn't strike down Roe, because Roe is also going to be based on the 14th Amendment due process of law. And there's another part of the 14th Amendment that says – Everyone born in the United States is a U.S. citizen. So there's even going to be the argument, can the unborn even be a U.S. citizen? Because by definition, you have to be born to be a citizen. So there are going to be so many hurdles. Let's say you get over all those hurdles illegally. Now the unborn child is a human being at conception. Now you are opening yourself up to the problem of Government overreach. That means every time there's a miscarriage, that's a death. There's going to have to be a death certificate. There's going to have to be an investigation. Everybody who's tried to get pregnant and has been in that group of friends. Uh, who's all trying to get pregnant? So sort of at the same time, knows people have had miscarriages, multiple miscarriages. Uh, I have good friends of mine who've t- who've taken years to get pregnant, and it's it'd been five, six, seven miscarriages. Well, guess what? Each one of those has to be investigated. Each one of those needs a death certificate, and each one of those could be criminal. If the mother is doing something she shouldn't be doing, just like if a mother was doing something she shouldn't be doing that resulted in the death of a child, if it resulted in the death of the unborn, it would have to be treated the same way. This is a Pandora's box. Nobody wants to do this. No, I mean,
0: in 2011, uh, Mississippi tried to pass. uh, The state of Mississippi proposed a fetal personhood amendment, which basically just said that. It's, it wanted to change the Mississippi Constitution to define the word person or persons as those terms that are used in Article Three of the state constitution to include, and I'm, I'm quoting now, every human being from the moment of fertilization. And that was defeated in, in the Bible Belt in Mississippi. 58% of Mississippians uh, who voted on this issue voted against it. And some of that for exactly the reasons you mentioned. It it, it, it creates, uh, it would create a huge government interference in what people actually, for most people, view as very private right. things. I don't know uh, any married couple, and there might be some somewhere, but I do know married couples who have gone through miscarriages. I don't know any of them who would say, yeah, the government should investigate this. Like, I just don't. No, and the,
1: But the government would have to. Well, if, if you're going to define the moment, a person starting at the moment of conception. What I find interesting about this whole thing, the more I was reading about it and the more I thought about it and the uh, the more I was thinking about how to articulate um, my research, I don't think we're that different. I, I don't think I say we, I mean, as a group, pro-life, pro-choice. I you mentioned in an earlier podcast about labels and how labels can be very misleading and create this idea of tribalism that you're on one side of an issue or the other side of the issue and it 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 occurs to me that pro life pro choice are really all on the same side of the coin. They all want less abortion. No one is celebrating abortion. Everybody wants to have less abortions. Everybody, I think, would like to have this idea of a culture of life. My problem with this, or not my problem, my thought on this is that we're attacking it from the wrong end. We want to attack a culture of life from the moment of conception. Or promote a culture of life. Exactly. What did I say? Attack? Attack. Yeah, I don't think you want to attack a culture (laughs) of life. (laughs) Hopefully not. Okay. We're promoting a culture of life from the wrong end. Um, We need to take care of the life we can see. You know, we have millions of Americans who don't have health insurance. We have tens of thousands of Americans who die because they don't have health insurance. We have states that still support the death penalty. We have children who go to bed hungry. We have people who don't have jobs or aren't living a livable life from for no fault of their own. Um, there are so many things around us when I look, uh, groups living in poverty, uh, that if we cannot help the life that we can see, if we can't offer a helping hand to those people, how in the world are we supposed to cherish life that is fifty cells or a hundred cells or a million cells, it seems to me to be backwards. We have to cherish the life that we see, then as we cherish that life, I think it'll be a natural flow to cherish all life.
0: Well I, I think that's a possibility and and I might look at it uh, a little bit differently. I do think that care for the What we'll call the developing, for what I'll call, the developing child in the mother's wound is a a good place to start for care for life. It it can't be the only thing we care about. That child, once they're born, is going to need clean water. You can't have lead in the water. That will kill it, reduce its life. It's going to need clean air. Uh, I I don't—it can't be— that pro life just means I I want uh, to protect the burgeoning life in a mother's womb. Uh, it I, I can't mean that, and I do think if if we could come together on this and and recognize, as you said, I might not be quite as inclusive as you, but certainly that pro life has to be a much more inclusive label than. Yeah, let's let's make sure this baby gets born uh that doesn't do it uh let's uh, and and another thing that informs my decision about this and my views on this is seeing people give birth and and i my my wife uh gave birth to our daughter and she had to go through um cesarean section and She's cut open lying there, and my my daughter gave a slightly a muted cry, and she immediately recognized it wasn't right, and was concerned, was ready to get up, literally, off the table that she was operated on. And one of the things about this abortion debate is who makes decisions at what time. That's what we're practically
1: speaking. I think that's that nails it down. Yeah. Who makes decisions and at what time and And
0: my experience having the mother I did and the wife I did and the mother of my child that I did is i I tend to trust women. I trust women's uh, desire. I don't think as sometimes they're characterized that they're just out and 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 they don't take this seriously, and abortion is a matter of oh, it's just convenient for them, no. I don't think usually it is convenient. I think they usually do it uh, a lot of times because some uh, or many times because a man's not meeting his responsibilities. And so I tend to trust women to make these decisions. And I think that's a very important thing to think about. And I think women and this, this might be considered sexist, but I think by their nature uh, they're often pro-life. They give life to beings and I trust them. I trust them more than I do legislators. Right. Much more than I do legislators.
1: And this is sort of a the odd thing about this that conservatives would like more government intervention and would trust government to uh, to regulate this. Um and again, it, it's there is it's it is problematic uh when you let government into the room with a woman making a decision with her doctor. And I think you both you and I have been around long enough. We both know women who've had abortions. We've probably both talked to women who've had abortions. And it's not anything that anyone takes lightly. And by the way, everybody knows somebody who's had an abortion. Um, for every three live births in America, there's one abortion. So it is a very, very common process, very common medical procedure, and I do think that we can have a culture of life and also respect a woman's right to choose. I do think those two things are uh, can work together, and I think they can work together very well. Um We know that sex education will reduce unwanted pregnancies. We do know that easy access to birth control will reduce unwanted pregnancies we do know that chat of children coming from two parent stable homes will reduce unwanted pregnancies and though these are concrete things that both the right and the left can come together on and also that really government can play a role in legislatively to help foster this kind of environment
0: well yeah and uh, i i do think we could uh encourage teenagers you know a lot of people well you know, sex was a choice and there needs to be consequences. And I think that it would be make much more sense to encourage young people to de- delay the onset of sexual activity if we didn't raise them in a culture where we sold every single thing in the world through sex, <laughs> through sexual desire. I mean— And we also allow them access to pornography on their phones, which they can get at any time. And, you know, I I don't want to sound like an old fogey. I'm certainly not anti-sex. But I don't think you can overwhelm someone who is already trying to deal with massive hormonal uh, changes and an ancient desire to... To reproduce and have children, uh, I, I I don't think you can deal with those people and expect them to just say no to sex. You either have, and I would be willing uh, as as possibly a more conservative uh, person here to to try to lessen the pressures on kids. Uh, trying to uh, lessen their exposure to things they really shouldn't be exposed to. Uh, I think it's ridiculous that a young person now, uh, many young people, I don't know, hopefully it's not a majority, but maybe it is, can see uh, a huge array of sexual acts before they've even kissed a person of the opposite sex. I don't think that's healthy. And so... I would, I, I could make uh, an alliance with conservative people about this issue. It's also a woman's issue. If a woman delays the onset of sexual activity, certainly if they de- have choice over their reproductive uh, capacities, they can develop themselves as a person uh as and as an employee a person that has skills, so this is something there's a lot of appeal for women's rights people here too. People who want to see women have a full role in society uh so I think there is room for compromise, even in something that seems as divisive as abortion.
1: I agree um So there we go. I think that we have run around this tree and have looked at every single angle, but I'm sure we've missed a few. So feel free to tweet us, email us, Facebook us, um, and we will certainly uh, discuss any of those issues that you bring up. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.